You lose with potential. You win with performance. That is a quote by Bill Parcells. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello. Welcome to episode 155. The topic of this week's episode is present performance versus potential. My guest this week is Bobby Kaler. Bobby is an entrepreneur, author, and coach. She has been an entrepreneur since the age of 34. Bobby has led workshops for thousands of people. and She has worked with some of the most recognizable brands on the planet. During that time, she has coached upward of 3,000 people. At the heart of it all, she is a servant of anyone seeking personal growth and transformation. Both her undergrad and graduate degrees were fueled by her passion for helping others achieve personal transformation and the belief that we can write our own life story. She is the author of Travels of the Heart, Developing Your Inner Leader, she was a contributing author to the Amazon and New York Times bestselling book, Masters of Success, and she is the host of her podcast, Unyielded, Thriving No Matter What. Hi, Bobby. Welcome to Trina Talk. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. I am glad to have you here. I mean, you are doing some amazing things, but how we started off here in Trina Talk, I always ask my guests to tell the listeners who you are and how you came to be the Bobby that you are today. Oh boy, that is a long journey. <laughs> but the short answer would be, I am uh, a wife. I'm a, a mother to two foster dogs, not foster dogs, rescue dogs. And I am a big sap when it comes to animals. I just have to be very honest about that. Uh, professionally, I'm a coach and I love coaching. And I think what led me to coaching was as a kid, I had really severe speech problems. And I actually had one speech pathologist. He told my parents, he's like, she's never going to talk correctly. And I had two people show up in my life, my mom and then a teacher. And both of them showed me the power of when you step into that role and you're a coach for someone and you believe in their potential instead of their limitations, you can change the world that way. You can change lives. And I think that's why I fell in love with coaching. And that's why that's why I do what I do. Wow. Interesting you say that um, because on a previous episode, I spoke with someone who was saying that they were coaching because um, they were a swim coach. And they said they were coaching their students incorrectly because they were saying like the negative instead of, yeah. you know, saying the positive and affirming to get the results out of them. And then when they realized that in change, then also did the student's performance change. So it's very interesting, the power of someone, you know, saying that they have, you know, confidence in you and that you can do it. So that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Makes a big difference. Yeah, it does. It just is how you frame it and how, you know, people receive it. It is a big difference. Mm -hmm. Wow. So how long have you been a coach? Did you work corporate, any jobs? How did you get to the place where you said, okay, this is not only my passion, but this is what I was meant to do? Yeah. So I think that no matter what job I've had, coaching and if it's training, what facilitation, whatever, has always been a part of it. So that was just a natural love. In 2000, I went out, I was working at a law firm in Chicago <laughs> And it was a big size <laughs> law firm and I was doing their training and I thought, you know, I love the training aspect. I love the coaching, but I, I want to do more. So I started my business in 2000 and I started doing some coaching. Then I, in 2008, I went back and got my graduate degree uh, from Case Western over in Cleveland. And, and that had a major coaching leadership um, focus on it. And I, I got the, I got to study with some of the 
world's best thought leaders when it comes to this stuff. So I was like so lucky. And then in 2008, I also partnered up with a company. They're based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and I still work with them as a, you know, in, in a, a smaller role, I'm not an employee with them, but since that time I've coached more than 3000 people. Um, and it was, it's, you know, some of them are very large corporations like American airlines, Merck, um, you know, really big companies. And some of the companies no one's ever heard of, but they're small, dedicated companies. And, and coaching is the piece of it that I love the most because it's how we, it's how we help someone go beyond their present performance and to really tapping into their, into their potential. And I think a lot of times people don't see that those are two separate things and they're really separate, you know, and I know that from my personal experience, I know that from coaching as many people as I have. And, um, it's just kind of, just kind of my love. It's always called to me. Wow. So explain to the listeners how those two things are different. The present performance and potential. Okay. Mm -hmm. So present performance is simply where we are right now, right? Our potential is what we can be. So an example is I mentioned one of my teachers, he was Mr. Jordan. And so I had speech problems and the speech pathologist was right. I had terrible speech problems. (laughs) He wasn't off base. So when I was in the eighth grade, as you can imagine, I hated speaking in public and I was terrible at it. I don't know if you had to do this in school where you had to read like a paragraph out loud and hated that because they're <laughs> like it was across the room and I'm trying to figure out which is going to be my paragraph because yeah. I wanted to read and then someone would always be the overachiever and they'd read two paragraphs and it would yeah. totally <laughs> screw things up like no stop you know so I hated it and and I thought you know what I need to get to a point where I can speak at least to talk in front of a class. So I decided in high school, I was going to take a speech class and my speech teacher was Mr. Jordan and just you know dumb luck He was also the coach for the speech and debate team. And so my first speech, um, it was terrible. And and I'm not being hard on myself. It was truly, truly terrible. Um, I I, I stuttered through it. I I rushed through it. It was just bad. And at the end of the class, you know, the bell rang and Mr. Jordan said, Bobby, can you stick around for a minute? And and I thought, he's going to tell me not to come back. Like, he's going (laughs) to tell me it was that bad not to come back. And instead... He said, would you consider joining the speech and debate team? And I said, I just, I remember like being kind of confused and I looked at him and I said, were you in the room for that speech? (laughs) Because it was bad. And he said, and he just kind of smiled and he's like, yeah, it wasn't very good. (laughs) (laughs) But he said, I think you've got potential. And he said, I think that if we work together, and we both work hard and we're a partnership. He said, I think you could do really well in this. So that's the example, right? My present performance, mm-hmm. it wasn't good. But my potential w- was, was, was way greater than I thought it was. And the cool thing about it too, and this is what I love about coaching too. He saw more in my potential than I saw in me. And I always talk about it this way, like coaching is holding up that mirror because mm-hmm. I don't know how you are, but either you've probably experienced it for yourself or you probably know people. We're so hard on ourselves that sometimes we, the mirror we look in, it's like that fun house mirror. (laughs) It's so so distorted. And sometimes we just need someone else to hold up that really powerful mirror that's accurate. And sometimes you do have to like, there are shortcomings, right? There are, there are things that we need to to tweak or whatever, Mm -hmm. but by and large, it's, it's that positive that positive uh, image of what we can be. And that's what pulls us forward. Man, that is, that's such a great story. And, you know, and and I'm thinking as you're speaking, when you go into corporations, like, you, you know, you've been in some of the big corporations, like you said, even some small businesses, but when you go there and you're teaching them on this, you know, present performance versus potential, mm-hmm. do they understand it? Because, I mean, I've been in corporate where, you get in a position and you're totally mismatched for this position. So as a result, you're, you know, you're marked as, you know, oh, their performance is horrible, blah, blah, blah. No one ever takes the time to say, okay, maybe they're just mismatched. Let's find where they're better suited. So how do you make businesses see that so that they can get the best performance out of their employees? Yeah. And you're right. Sometimes we are mismatched. 
to, to what we're doing. The other thing, and you alluded to it, and I hate it when this happens, is we get that that label mm-hmm. that people write in a permanent Sharpie yep. <laughs> and it is slapped <laughs> on us and they're never going to take it off, right? Yep. And I hate that because it's it's one person's opinion and it can really yep. follow us throughout our career. Sometimes it's accurate. I'm not saying that we're never accurate, right. but I always think if we're going to slap a label on someone, it better be written in pencil because yep. it can change. So that's number one. One of the things that happens in the type of work I do. So one of the things I do is I help managers learn how to coach their employees. Mm Because think about it. Most managers become managers because they're really good in their position. They've never been taught how to coach, right? So the very, so we we have a workshop where everyone learns the same language. we, We learn the methodology. The second step is I go in and I coach one of their team members and they get to watch. And it's usually very powerful because it's very eye-opening. So, for example, I was working with a company. They were in North Carolina, Raleigh. And um, I don't know why I gave the state first and then the city, but so Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, the manager's name was Joe, and he had me coach one of his reps. And he's like, she's really difficult. You know, it's you're not going to get very far and whatever. And she was a delightful person. She was misunderstood. And at the end of the coaching session, she left us and Joe literally jumped out of his seat and he's like, oh my gosh, she's not a bad employee. I've been a bad coach. I've been a bad manager. And, and it's, and and he wasn't being a bad manager. He just didn't have the skills. And that experience has been duplicated so many times where it's just, we haven't been taught how to bring out the best in people. And so we put people in these boxes and sometimes it just takes, you know, maybe someone else, someone, an outsider coming yep. in and saying, maybe you're right, but what if you're wrong? Right. You know what I mean? So that's kind of, I don't know if that fully answers your question. No, it does. And, and that's very, you know, I'm very shocked that that manager said, you know, oh my goodness, this person isn't, you know, not a bad employee because mm-hmm. most wouldn't admit that they've been wrong. So many times they don't, you know, but here's where I, I don't know if I've just been lucky. I would say I've probably worked with, I don't know, 13 to 1500 managers in this type of type of thing. I would say 75 to 80% of them, that first coaching session, it's incredibly eye-opening. And then what comes out of their mouth next is I want to be able to do what you just did. And that's where we, that's where we start. And that's where we work to. And I would say of that 75 to 80% of them who have that, that desire, 99.9% of them can get there because it's just a skill and we just have to learn it. It's just a skill. I shouldn't say it's just a skill. It's an important skill. Mm -hmm. But when I say just a skill, I think about a skill as something that we can practice, something we can learn. It's like, you know, shooting free throws. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be the next Michael Jordan, but I can learn how to shoot a free throw. You know what I mean? So that's what I mean. It's just a skill. And what are some of the skills that you go over when you're coaching? Oh my goodness. So one of them and this can be really hard for people. And, and I get it because most managers are really, they're on the, well, most, they're on the line for results and their plates are incredibly full. So I get this. One of the big shifts is going from your agenda as the manager to their agenda because employees don't care about your agenda. Like, for example, I had a manager, his name was Chris, loved him. He started, and it was, he was in sales. He used to start with his underperforming uh, team members, had started sessions with, dude, you're killing my numbers. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Chris, nobody cares about your numbers. They care about their goals. Right. And that's what you have to tap into. And the beautiful thing is there's usually alignment between their goals and the company goals. Mm-hmm. You just have to take the time to find it. So number one, it's that shift to, to, to what's, what's their agenda and how do we, how do we help them achieve their goals? And that's, that's one of the huge things you have to think about. The second thing, and there's a lot of stuff, but you will also want to make that shift from telling mm-hmm. to asking questions, mm-hmm. you know, because coaching is about increasing the person's self-awareness. Uh, Tim Galway in the inner book, inner book of tennis, it's a fabulous book. And it's about tennis, but it's also about coaching. Really, it's about coaching. He talks about it this way, that 
the when we're coaching someone, what we're trying to do is help them observe themselves in action because then they can give themselves feedback. And you do that by asking really powerful questions around um, w- what you observe, mm-hmm. you know? So instead of saying, hey, you know, you really messed up on that. Well, that that's just going to make a person defensive. Right. But if you say, hey, during that presentation, how did you feel, you know, when X, Y, Z happened? Mm-hmm. Or I noticed, you know, at this part of the presentation, this happened, you know, tell me what, what was your take on that? Or what were you thinking at that point? You know, questions like that. We can really draw that out. So that shift from, Telling to asking is huge. And if we're going to, if we're going to ask, the other part of that is we better listen. Yes. (laughs) Right. And, and really listen, like set aside our assumptions, set aside our judgment and really be present in the moment. And it's not really a skill, but it's a mindset more of being curious. Yes. Because if we're curious, we can't be judgmental. We can't, one, one of the things I learned in, in grad school in neuroscience was we can't be both judgmental and, and curious at the same time. So if we're really curious about why a person's doing what they're doing and how they're performing and how we can help them, they can feel that. And conversely, hmm. if I'm judging you, you're, you can probably feel it. Mm-hmm. And yes. if you can feel it, <laughs> the wall goes up. We can't right. coach at that point. So those are some of the main things I'd say. Wow. And you and it's funny because the telling versus asking, that mm-hmm. is very important because most managers, they only key in to the negative. So like yeah. you said, the person was like, hey, you're killing my numbers. That's usually how it comes to you, right? It, yeah. You know, you sit in a performance review and they never oh. say, well, you know, hey, what were your expectations for this year? It's, well, you didn't do this. You didn't do this. Okay, yeah, you did that. But, you know, so it's very it's very demotivating. And I've always yeah. wondered when are businesses going to get it? Yeah. It's not how you inspire your people to no. want to work. With you. N- not, not even close. Right. We, and we want, here's the other part of that. We should be helping people see what they're doing well. Right. Cause we can build on that. And I can't tell you Trina, how many times over the years I've had managers say to me, like with one of their employees are like, you know, she used to do X, Y, Z. And then all of a sudden she quit. I don't know why she did, why she stopped doing it. Cause it was so good. And my first question back is, did you ever say it was a good thing? Mm-hmm. Right. If, if, if we don't tell people what they're doing well, they don't know. One of my, one of my professors, his name's David Cooper writer. And he is one of he's the father of appreciative inquiry. And he, and he puts it this way, what we appreciate, appreciates, yeah. it grows. Yep. And people, our human spirit calls out for that. And it's yes. not that we ignore the negative, right? It's not that we ignore where we need to get better. It's, it's our approach. And it's, it's so important. Wow. Yeah. So how long does it take with you working with these, these companies? Do you go in repeatedly? Do they get it? Or are they resistant. How are they receiving this? It varies, right? So sometimes there is resistance. And I would say it really comes down to how well the upper leadership does. It's saying, you know, this isn't flavor of the month. Mm -hmm. This is a change. This is the direction we're going. By and large, though, I think most of the managers, they want a different approach. They just, this, they're managing the same way that they've been managed. Right. So when they see that there's a different approach and the different approach is far more effective when they see that it's easy. Like I was working with a company, very large car insurance company, and we did a, and we often do pilots, right. To, to kind of see how's it going to work in this organization. So we had one group, they, uh, multiple groups, groups, they came through training with me and then, and then we did the coaching. They And then we had other groups that just continued to do what they were doing. The groups that did not go through the training and coaching, they were, and it was a sales organization, they were at 83% to goal. Hmm. The groups that went through with me, and they were all pretty equal before the training. The groups that went through with me, they ended up at 128% to goal in the same time period. Wow. When managers see that, it's really easy to get on board. <laughs> Because the wow. results, the results can be stunning. And it doesn't, surprisingly enough, it doesn't take that long. I, I you know, for most managers, um, 
six to eight weeks. And that's enough for them to start to really learn it for it to be kind of, and I don't want to say embedded because we all have to work on it, mm-hmm. but, but you start to see significant results pretty quickly. I think mm-hmm. that's, a, that's inspiring. That's its own momentum. Yeah. That was a big, that's a big difference. That's a big results. difference. Mm-hmm. So how do they find you? I mean, because normally for companies to get to the point where they're like, okay, we need some help, something just tragic has happened. (laughs) (laughs) Something big. Yeah. So what is it and how do they find you to say, okay, we just can't, we're not doing it right. We need somebody else to come in. Yeah. I think you kind of nailed it. They, most companies tend to know like, okay, we've, it could be a change in leadership. And some, like I had a client in Iowa where they had their CEO, it was a new CEO, CEO came in and he's like, guys, we're making changes. Mm. So that can be one. We call it compelling events. So sometimes (laughs) maybe the market changes, right? Um, Sometimes it's, it's like the problem that can't be ignored anymore. Mm. And, and, and actually that's a good thing because if people know, if people know that there's an issue, they're way more up to try to solve it than if it's like, Hey, everything's great. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's, that's kind of, I think the way that it becomes visible to them. Mm. Some of the ways. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're at a point where they're like, okay, yeah, we need to do something. We need to do something. Wow. So do you also help individuals or do you stay within the, the corporate realm? I do a lot with individuals, a lot with entrepreneurs, a lot with executives. Um, and I actually, I love both types of coaching. Mm-hmm. I think that the the individual coaching is is maybe somewhat more rewarding sometimes because they're so motivated. Like these are people who want to change. And I love working with people like that. Wow. Because I can see the benefit of this can even go over into your personal life, not just oh, yeah. at work. I mean, because, you know, who who doesn't need to know how to ask someone that because a lot of times you tell people things and people are like, well, why are you talking to me like that? <laughs> you know, so, you know, you have to, you know, it's, it's a way of talking to people and dealing with that. And I think a lot of times, sometimes we forget that. And, you know, sometimes I have to shift from talking to my teenagers. To That's talking, right. Talking to someone else. And, you know, I'm very, I'm very conscious of that, but a lot of people are not. Um, so yeah, it's a skill that you can use anywhere. You can use it anywhere. And, and with the individuals, it's, it's more, that's really more about helping them hit their goals. What are they want? You know, what, what do they want to become? Cause I kind of have three fundamental truths that drive my coaching, especially on the individuals. The first is that the future can be changed, right? Again, it's that difference between present performance and our potential. So the future can be changed. The second one is that we can change our future. You can be your own hero. And I deeply believe that. And the third is that we don't have to wait because I believe, and this comes from coaching as many people as I have, we can learn what we need to learn along the Mm -hmm. way. It's not reserved for a special few people. And so um, I just think it's exciting to work with people when they have like, hey, this is what, this is where, this is how I want to grow. This is what I want to grow into. This is what I want to become. And, um, and to be part of that process that's it's 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 a that's its own reward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very rewarding. And you have a book. I think you have a book and mm-hmm. you talk about your life story. Tell the listeners about that. About the book? The book and this life story. Okay. <laughs> so, the book is called Travels of the Heart: Developing Your Inner Leader. And that is a collection. There's kind of like a collection of snapshots different things that I learned over the years. And I put it together because I wanted it to be more than just something that you read. So there's journaling activities in there as well, because journaling is one of the main ways. Well, no, it's a huge way that we can learn and we can take someone else's story. We can see ourselves in that story and then we can extract lessons from our own lives. So it's a great way um, to grow personally. And, and that has, I mean, it has things from like the day that my mom got the speech, the diagnosis from the speech pathologist, right? And how she responded to that, which was powerful. Um, one of the things that I think it's mentioned in the book, I'm sure, I can't imagine that I didn't, is back in 2003 when I collapsed 
and um, major health challenges. And so some of the content in there is also around some of the things I learned on coming, you know, recovering and not just reclaiming my health, but actually becoming a better athlete now and stronger and healthier than I was before I got sick. Hmm. So, so talk about that. Talk about your, your revelation after your illness and how it's changed your life. It, because I've had every doctor who's seen my medical records since that time has said to me, I don't know how you're, how you're still alive. You know, so just hearing that Mm -hmm. is, it it makes you really, really grateful and appreciative for every single day. Um, And, and it was a 10 year journey. So the first five years, it was just trying to get back to not being sick right? You know, to, to, to getting that clean bill of health. And that was hard. I mean, at one point I had one doctor tell me, he's like, you know, based on our research, he said, I think you have like a, a 3% chance of experiencing a full recovery. And okay. So I'm kind of dense sometimes because (laughs) my first question back to him was, okay, but when can I go for a run again? And he's like, Bobby, he said, you might have to accept your days of being an athlete are over. And I'm like, no, no, yeah, I do not have to accept that. And because I always thought I am an athlete, I've always been an athlete. And what I didn't know at the time is that that was part of like my core identity. And so hanging on to that, that's what helped me get through it. Yeah. Um, a- another thing that happened is uh, in the second part of it, you know, the second five years, because I got back to the point where my um, my I had a clean bill of health. My nor- my numbers were all normal but I was still like, I was really weak because I'd spent so, so long where I couldn't work out or I couldn't go for a walk or anything like that. And I remember at this one point I was able to go back to a health club and um, I got on the treadmill and I used to be a runner before I got sick, eight miles every other day under an hour. So pretty strong. I got on this treadmill. I walked one mile in 30 minutes and my, and that was as fast as I could go. And my heart rate was 170. Oh, wow. I mean, that's bad. Yeah. That's, that's really high. And I remember I was so like, I was crushed and I got off the treadmill and I'm at this, you know, women's workout world. It was in Chicago on, you know, and, and so one of the guys that was working there, he came over cause I was fighting tears. Cause I'm like, wow. my God, this is such a, this is such a deep hole. And um, he's like, what's wrong? And I told him and he said, it's just where you are today. He said, keep doing the work keep doing the work consistently, keep doing the right stuff. Don't push too hard. He said, it will get better. And again, Mm -hmm. that's the present performance Mm -hmm. versus potential. And I I think about that all the time where I'm like, okay, so no matter where I am right now, that's okay. I, because I can move myself forward. So those were some of the, you know, the other thing that happened is I don't take my health for granted. Yeah. I safeguard it very closely because I'm not going through that again. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Yeah. Man, yeah, you know, and it's funny because it takes something like that for us to see just how precious yeah. we are, life is, our days, our time. Um, so yeah, I have had similar things and yeah, I'm very aware of my time. I'm like, nope, I can't waste time on that. You know, nope. <laughs> I got other things to do. If you know, if you're you know, negative Nancy and you're throwing off some bad <laughs> energy. I, um, yeah, I'm quick to let you go. So I'm like, nope, don't have time for that. Yes, yeah. it is. It's, it's, you know, you don't realize how those thoughts and the energy and things like that really pull on you, not only mentally, emotionally and physically. Yep. It's huge. It can be, it can be just like this albatross around your ankles yes. in a way, you know what I mean? And it's like, life's too short. It's too short. Yeah, you might as well just go jump in a lake somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but I think you when you have something like that, you start you start seeing things differently. The other thing that happened, I don't know how you are. I used to, I'm kind of a classic Type A personality. I like to get a lot of stuff done. I, I'm it's an affliction, right? I love my to do list. <laughs> I do. And I love crossing things off my to-do list. My husband always jokes with me because like if I act, if I vacuum the floor and it's not on my to-do list, I will put it on my to-do list so I can cross <laughs> it off. I'm not joking. Is that, that's just bad. But so when I was sick, 
I couldn't do that. Right. I couldn't have 10 things on my to-do list. So I started a practice that I continue to this day. And, and every day when I wake up, I think, okay, if I can only do one thing today, mm-hmm. what should that be? Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how focused you become and you can be so effective that way because you, it just yeah. brings it into clarity. Yeah. What's most important. See, and I am going to take that because I need to do that because I am, I'm like you, I'm a type A, I need to get stuff done. Then I have like OCD where I'm like, really I'm like, okay, it has to be this way, this way. And, and sometimes I, I make myself overwhelmed. That's what it is. And I remember being with my friend and I was doing something and I was like, yeah, and he was like, okay, I need you not to let your AD. <laughs> no. That's a good friend that can say that to you. (laughs) And I just had to laugh because I'm like, okay, yeah, I did jump from one thing to the other. He's like, yeah, let's, let's work on the first thing. (laughs) Okay. Um, Man. Yeah. I I need to do that. Just think about one thing that I want to accomplish and do that. I, I heard someone, I don't remember who it was. I think he was a former secretary of state. He said his key was, I do what only I can do. And that's, that's another great way to look at it, right? Yeah. Instead of trying to do everything, what is it that only I can do? Yeah. So I need those yeah. reminders. <laughs> yeah, that's a good reminder because, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes I drive myself crazy. And I'm going, <laughs> oh, I don't have enough time in a day. Or why am I so exhausted? It's because I'm trying to do everything and my brain is going yeah. everywhere. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I, I just love it. I love what you're doing with, you know, this and I never heard about that before present performance versus potential. Yeah. And that, you know, and you know what you need to have like a course for every, and I don't know, you probably already do, but your course needs to be for any business that, you know, put someone in leadership for the first time, they need to know this. Yeah. Cause that's, you and you know, what's so, so stunning about that. I, I've worked with managers who have been managing for sometimes 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. And when I, when they go through the program with me, one of the, one of the things I hear the most, it's the first time that the company's ever invested in training yes. for them. That's not fair. Yes. It's not yeah. fair. Yeah. And, or, or what they've invested in is really, it's like, okay, this policy, this policy, that <laughs> policy. And it's like, Really? It's like, I think you can go beyond policy or you need to think beyond policy. Uh, I remember having this one supervisor. He was so adamant, so proud that he knew that, well, you know, uh, the policy says that, you know, if you're 15 minutes late in the morning, you have to take your personal time. But nobody goes by that. And I'm thinking, yeah, nobody goes by that because it's stupid. You don't know what traffic. (laughs) And my thing is, if someone like works through lunch or they're working later, you're calling them it all evens out in the wash. So why are you going to say, well, you were, you know, 16 minutes late for work today. So you, now you have to take your personal time. Yeah. So it just, it really kills me when there's people like that, that can spit the the policy. But then when it comes to just the human factor and the, the things that really matter, they have no clue on how to do that. No, because we're, we're people like, yeah. and how about if someone's 16 minutes late, how about finding out was, did something happen? I mean, one time I was coaching, it was an organization out in California. The person I was supposed to coach the manager, she was late. And, and I'm like, well, that's not like her. Cause it was the third time we'd met. She was in a car accident, totaled her car, still showed up. I'm like, wow. why are you here? You should wow. be like home or in a hospital or, you know, being checked out. Yeah. She's like, oh, I didn't want to miss it. And I'm like, we can reschedule. <laughs> like, you totaled your car. But find out why, like, right. wh- why is someone like, you know, maybe something happened, who knows, but have a conversation. Right. Don't right. tell and me policy. Right. Don't tell me <laughs> policy, but you know, something like this, your coaching is very necessary. Like I said, because you have people like the one, you know, gentleman, you were saying that was a, a manager for 20 plus years, but mm-hmm. you'd be surprised how many people are like that in like even new managers. I've come across people who just got in positions and they they have no clue Mm-mm. on how to deal with people. You know, they no. think it's all about, okay, I tell you to make 10 widgets today. You're going to make those 10 widgets and then I'll grade you on your performance and 
you know, we'll have a couple meetings in between and that's it. Well, yeah. you know, it's really a lot more than that when you're talking about being a leader, um, running different. a business is is so different and people and just don't know it. They don't know it. What's, what's sad too about the, what you're describing there. I've had so many of those new managers quietly, like when no one else is around say, I feel like such an imposter. Mm. Right. Cause they're like, now I'm managing people who have been here longer. I'm expected to know all these things. And I'm like, no one's expecting you to know all these things, mm-hmm. right? Humility goes a long, long right. way. But when we feel that, we put up this shield, you know? And I think that's when we that's when we start reverting to policy. And, and not that policy isn't important, right? I mean, they're there for a reason, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's I think it's really it's tough. It's it's tough being in business. Yeah, well, they need to get a lot of <laughs> a lot of coaching because <laughs> I've come across some really bad managers and I'm like, how, how, how did you get this position again? <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. Like leading people. It's like, mm-hmm. no, no, people no we have to remember people are people first. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Sorry yeah. that you've had those experiences because it's, it's painful. Right. And they stick with you. Yeah. It's very painful. I mean, and I know I'm not the only one, but it oh, is no. it's very painful, especially when, you know, and I don't think anyone gets up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm just going to go to work and be a crappy employee. You know, <laughs> I don't think people do that. But no. then when you get to work and you you're dealing with a manager that is crappy, <laughs> you know, you're, you're not too inspired to go to work. So, you know, you're like hitting the snooze, hitting the snooze. And then you're like, OK, I got to go because I got bills to pay. But that's mm-hmm. such a bad way to think about going to work, especially when we spend most of our life at a job. You know, you want to get some kind of fulfillment from it. Yeah. And that relationship you have with the people on your team is so, is so critically important, right? Because it's either motivating or it's demotivating. It's, and you described it perfectly when you have to keep hitting the snooze alarm because you don't want to go in and, and who, Mm -hmm. who wants that? You know, I also think too, that post pandemic, I think there's going to be a lot of changes where there's a lot of people who are saying, you know what, things have to change. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know, maybe that'll be a wake up call. Don't know. Yeah. And I was thinking the same thing. And and I was talking to someone several months ago, like when the pandemic first hit and I was like, well, what do you think this is going to do? You know, how is it going to be post pandemic? And they were saying the same thing. They were like, well, we, we think that a lot of people are going to start saying, well, you know what? I lived through this. I don't need to go back to work to take this crap. I'm going to, you know, yeah. be at home. I'm going to do my own thing, whatever. And it's so true because I think what the pandemic has shown all of us is one being resilient, pivoting, even though that's such a buzzword now. Yeah. But um, yeah. And, you know, you think about, okay, I can do this. It's just take some focus and things like that. But mm-hmm. people are not going to want to drive whatever it is, fight traffic, drive, do all these things to go to work, to come home and be miserable. Yeah. I mean, think about some people's commutes, three hours round trip. Oh my goodness. That's a lot of, that's a part-time job. It is. (laughs) It is a lot of time to be on a road in a car and yeah, stuck in traffic. You're like, oh my, and yeah, if you live in DC, you might as well forget Forget it. it. Well, Houston's no picnic when it comes to traffic. <laughs> I've no. been there a couple times. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, this is bad. And I'm from Chicago. I, I know what bad traffic can look like. Yes. You know, I said the same thing because as we were talking before the show, we were both saying how we were both from Chicago. And I said the same thing when I moved to Houston. I was going, from Chicago. And I think this is horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. It's bad. A lot of people. <laughs> it's a lot of people. I mean, yeah. Texas is, yeah, big. Oh my goodness. All right, Bobby. You know what? This is a conversation that you and I can continue forever (laughs) because as you see, I got a lot of, you know, scars. (laughs) Well, you're not alone. (laughs) I got a lot of scars that uh, need to be healed and I need to recover from, but we got to move on to our questions. Okay. All right. So, okay, here we go. Who or what motivates you? Ah, who or what I am. Okay. Two part answer there. I'm kind of one of those intrinsically motivated people. So I'm always trying to compete against myself. You know, how how can I be better than the last time? So that's part of it. 
And I think the other thing that motivates me a lot is the Mr. Jordan, right? Just wanting to, wanting to pay that forward, what he gave to me. And so, so that motivates me in terms of why I do what I do. Nice. What demotivates you? <laughs> um, mean people. <laughs> I I think life is too short, man. We, there's no need for it. There's no need to be nasty. It's just, you know, that just, I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked out for your good? (laughs) Um, so this was back in the (laughs) nineties and I'm not going to name names or, uh, I was going through a breakup with my long-term boyfriend. We'd built a house together. We'd been together for eight years. And I really thought this was, you know, we're going to be together forever. So going through the uh, breakup and that's fine. You know, that's hard on its own. And someone very, very close to me, I was talking to her and I, I noticed at a point that she was really happy at what I was going through. And I said, I can't help but notice that you seem really happy. And she goes, I am. She goes, it's about time you were down here with the rest of us. And I thought, huh, well, number one, that's really interesting. You're probably not as close to me as I thought (laughs) you were. And I also thought, that's just where I am right now. Let's see where I am in a year. Because it was, the breakup actually ended up being one of the best things for me. Because it, it, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a catalyst for a lot of changes. But yeah, and I thought, well, that's not very nice. (laughs) But that's okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. You got rid of that friend too, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't say. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, that was, yeah. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what is your fear? Oh God. Okay. So I don't know if this is what you mean by, you know, my biggest fear, snakes. Me too. I can't stand them. And Back in 2005, it was on our honeymoon, actually. We went on this walk in Portland, or, uh, out in Oregon, and um, there was a snake migration. I don't know if you oh. ever seen. No. <laughs> dozens, dozens of them. I thought I was hallucinating. It was so, it was awful. <laughs> so that is, that's my biggest fear. I, I, I'm one of those people, like, I'll jump in, I'll learn something new, I'll put myself out there. But, oh, dear God, I do not want to see a snake. See, I don't like snakes either, but no. okay, so I'm going to pause the question. So what do you mean by snake migration? <laughs> it's where you have, you can actually look it up on, on the internet and they'll show pictures, but I wouldn't recommend looking at them. So literally there are dozens, if not hundreds of them moving at the same time. Oh. So on this, yes. So on a four mile hike, like every step, there was another one. It was my, and my husband was like, he goes, just keep walking. He goes, just keep. And he went first and he's kicking rocks to clear him off the path. It was horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. Oh, were they coming like out of hibernation or something? I don't know. I don't know why they do it. I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> but I never oh. want to see anything like it again. Oh, okay. That just creeps, me right? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay. All right. Oh, is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Hmm. Probably a lot of times one, one that stands out to me, this was early nineties and I just moved back to Illinois because my mom was a bit, I don't want to say estranged from her family, but very distant with her family. So I moved back to Illinois and a lot of the family was around. And so I didn't really know him very well. And it was an Easter and I was at my aunt's house and I was very unsure of how people felt about me because, you know, because of the issue with my mom. And I remember I was getting ready to say goodbye. And my uncle Jerry was in one of the rooms and I just stood at the door and I said, Hey, everyone, I'm taking off. And I could tell like he wanted to get up and maybe hug me, but he was uncertain and I was mm-hmm. uncertain. So I just waved goodbye. Mm-hmm. And shortly after that, he had a stroke. Oh. And it was like, oh my gosh, that was, you know, I could have given him a hug. And the one redeeming thing was he was in the hospital and I got to go visit him before he died. And uh, I was the only one there. So I sat down next to him and I was holding his hand and I just said, Uncle Jerry, I'm, I'm so sorry that I didn't come and give you a hug because I, I really wanted to give you a hug. I just didn't know if you wanted me to. Mm-hmm. 
And um, he, at this point, he couldn't talk or anything, but he squeezed my hand. And I thought, you know what? Lesson learned. I'm giving hugs from now on. If a person doesn't want to hug, they can tell me stand back. Right. (laughs) But I'm not going to, I'm not going to experience that again. Wow. Because it it hurts so bad. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? I I think about when I got sick mm-hmm. and what led me to get sick. And it was being the classic entrepreneur, not taking care of myself, skipping workouts, not eating right, not getting enough sleep. And I'll never do those things again because I understand mm-hmm. how critical it was. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and actually on that question, how much yeah. time do you have? Because there's probably tons of things from my oh. past. Keep on going. And actually that one right there just hit home. So I was like, okay, that's me. Yeah. yeah. It, nothing, nothing's more precious in our health. And, and to make decisions that sacrificed it, laying in bed for 18 months, because that's how, I mean, I was in bed mm. for, for that long where I couldn't even get up. I mean, I couldn't brush my teeth for a long time. And to know I did this to myself by making bad choices. Wow. That was painful. Okay. So like I said, that was, that's me. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. You have just, um, yeah, made me be very aware of what I'm doing. Um, what is your definition of success? Hmm. My definition of success is one, being able to look at myself in the mirror at night and to say, I'm proud of, uh, I'm, I'm proud of what you did today, or I'm proud of, you know, um, so feeling good about that. Also, I think, um, knowing that I'm helping other people, that that's really important to me. And I think it goes back to my mom and Mr. Jordan. Um, so I, I think those are the two. How do you recharge? Oh, nature. Nature, being outside and exercise, and I don't even want to call it exercising, playing outside. Because I don't mm-hmm. like to think about it as exercise, right? When right. we were kids, did we have to exercise? No, we went outside nope. and we played. Mm-hmm. So I live right here next to Rocky Mountain National Park. And we moved up here because of cross-country skiing. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. Uh, the, the two years ago, I got to go out 97 times for cross-country skiing. Last year was only 77. It was real disappointing. (laughs) Um, But I also love road cycling. I love mountain biking, disc golfing, hiking, paddle boarding, anything that gets me outside in nature and I get to play. That's how I recharge. Wow. What are you awesome at? What am I awesome at? I don't know. (laughs) I I make a real mean minestrone. I can tell you that. (laughs) But um, what am I awesome at? I would say the feedback I get, let me go to that, is I'm really good at helping people see and believe in, in new possibilities for themselves. That's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. What legacy do you want to leave? Hmm. I, the legacy I want to leave, I want people to remember me as the person that inspired them to reach for their potential and not their present performance and not be Mm. limited by their present performance. Mm. All right. Give the listeners one motivational takeaway. Um, I think, I think it goes back to the day my mom got the news about my speech problems And she told me what he had to say, you know, oh, it's catastrophic. You'll never speak correctly. There's no hope of overcoming it. And my mom whispered in my ear. She hugged me and she whispered in my ear. She said, we're not going to listen to him because you never let someone else tell you what you can or cannot do. Mm -hmm. And to me, that has always been, no one gets to tell me what my limitations are. Right. Right? Uh, And and we don't have to choose our limitations. I'm going to choose my potential. So that would be it. Wow. So tell the listeners how they can connect with you, get your book, if they need your coaching, the whole nine yards. Okay. So best place is my website, bobbykaler.com. There's a place to reach out to me there. Um, And also my podcast is there too. 
my book is my book's on there. My book's also on Amazon, just travels of the heart. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. So it's just Bobby Kaler on LinkedIn. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah, so that's, that's how they can reach out to me. And what I like to do, if it's okay with you, um, I always like to make an offer when someone's kind enough to have me on a podcast. If your listeners are interested in coaching for the day or two after it comes out, just if they type in the name of your podcast, um, when they reach out, I'm happy to extend like a 50% discount. Oh, wow. Just that's for your very listeners. Nice. Thank yeah. you. Very well, nice. I appreciate you having me on the show. And I think that's one way to pay it back a little bit. Well, thank you. And you know what? Before we end, we didn't talk about your podcast. So let's talk about that real quick. Okay. So it's unyielded, thriving no matter what. Um, and I started that about a year ago because I thought there's so many cool stories out there that need to be told and people need the inspiration and also some tools. And um, you probably have the same experience, but I've gotten to meet so many cool, interesting people. Like there's someone I just interviewed him. He's a former NFL player. Mm-hmm. And um, his story is just, it's moving, it's inspiring. And he helps people like tap into what story do we tell ourselves? And if it's a negative story, how does that hurt us? And if it's a positive story, how does it help us? Right. So I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm loving it. Oh, wow. Sounds, ooh, I gotta, I gotta subscribe to that one. I like that. Wow. Well, Bobby, thank you for being on Trina Talk. This has been amazing conversation. Um, and I'm going to connect with you on LinkedIn. So we're going to have to keep in touch. Perfect. I loved it. Thank you for having me as a guest. If you like Trina Talk podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination.